Well, it's sort of like Sean Connery alongside of Harrison Ford in the, the uh, Indiana Jones film. That just at, at times, no matter how good Harrison Ford is doing, he, 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 Sean Connery is stealing the scene just with his beard. <laughs> I mean, his beard is more interesting. Dodge this. I am the father. Oh. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one god man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 135 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and so much more. Today is Tuesday, April the 28th, 2015, and we're bringing you the podcast that never ages. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me today is the forever young Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe? That's more like it. Yeah. You're doing great. Is that better than last week? Mm-hmm. I don't, although I don't know why you would want a, a forever young Gungan around. So. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty. Uh, that would be pretty rough. I, I don't know if I could. I'd, I'd eventually just have to put you out of your misery. I think. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, also joining us today is returning guest host who uh, was a regular on the show for a while, filling in for Joe slash Chad, and uh, he's a prolific radio station manager and the three sixty five movie guy critic. Please welcome Clark Douglas. How are you, Clark? Hello. Good. How are you? I'm doing well. How how are things in the uh, the baby world over there? You've got a newborn over there. It's probably not so new anymore. Yeah, he's he's seven and a half months now, wow, and uh, yeah, he's he's starting to figure out the whole crawling thing, mm-hmm. starting to move around. Mm-hmm. So, is he I'm watching Winnie it. the Pooh yet? <laughs> no, no. I mean, though, I will say, you know, uh, anytime there's like any kind of screen on, he'll immediately gravitate to it. So, as uh, they do, yeah. 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 Well, you just got to make sure you start them off right. Find the find the right things. Uh, maybe a little uh, Age of Adeline, or maybe a little uh, original Star Wars. Mm, uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I was thinking Harrison Ford movies would be a good place to start. Sure. The Air Force One. You know. Mm. Yeah, Air Force One is good for a baby's first first <laughs> viewing. Set, set, set things on the right course. It seems, mm-hmm. seems legit. His first words will be, get off my plane. But. <laughs> seems, seems completely legit. It could be a lot worse. That's true. Uh, yeah, I, I can think of worse movies. Um, <laughs> uh, w- one of which maybe maybe we'll talk about a little bit here before we get to our main review. We'll see. Uh, although, movie? In, in fairness, the, the movie, the movie had, well, yeah, better movies than Air Force One. Or Air Force One being better than some movies we may talk about. But we, I suppose I shouldn't say that in fairness, but we'll, we'll, mm. we'll get to that because the movie hasn't come out yet. But we'll get to that. We do have to uh, start off the show with some sad news and get it uh, out of the way in, in one sense, but also recognize his great filmmaking craft and the great cinematographer, Andrew oh, yes. Lesney. Uh, I, I hope I'm saying that right. It looks pretty straightforward. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm notoriously bad at names, unfortunately. But he has died at the age of 59. He was the Oscar-winning Australian cinematographer. Uh, he died of a heart attack. Um, he was uh, he was a, a frequent collaborator with uh, Peter Jackson, and uh, he did uh, – am I correct in saying – I'm trying to look for the information here. Am I correct in saying, Clark, I, I assume you would know as well as any of us that he did all three of the uh, Lord of the Rings films? 
all three of the Lord of the Rings movies, all of the Hobbit movies. In mm. fact, all of Peter Jackson's movies beginning with Fellowship of the Ring mm. onward. Okay. Yeah, so obviously, uh, even though I don't have great things to say about all of the all of the uh, Hobbit movies, I think I, I didn't have a problem with the cinematography by any means. I think that some of his cinematography in Lord of the Rings is stunning. Uh, yeah. When you're when you're talking about the real real cinematography in that film, I mean, he got some fantastically beautiful shots, well well placed, uh, well lit scenes. I mean, just all all those things that uh, cinematographers do. He was obviously very good at his craft. I don't know that I ever knew his name until he came. It came up that he had died, but um, I, I remember I, seeing him in interviews for the box sets. You know, he, he got around. Yeah, that's the only reason I, I knew who he was. Really, was because uh, those special features on the Lord of the Rings sets were so comprehensive. Mm-hmm. And, he lived uh, in he New Zealand, in Australia. Okay. Yeah, apparently uh, the the one tweet that has been embedded here on Slash Film article where I saw this news is from Russell Crowe, and he st- says, Devastating news from home. The master of light of the light, genius Andrew Lesney, has passed on. So that was mm. – uh, I'm sure there was many more sentiments like that, but that was Russell Crowe's sentiment. And so. the, the movie that Russell Crowe directed and starred in, The Water Diviner, uh, that's just opened in theaters, and that was actually the last movie that Mr. Lesney shot. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, so sad, sad news. Seems like it, you know, somebody's death always seems to come up, uh, you know, and this is, it's a sad thing, but uh, uh, I don't know what else to say about it, so we should probably move on. Uh, I will say real quickly, uh, it's worth mentioning that he got his big break on the Babe movies, uh, Babe and then the sequel, Babe, mm. Pig in the City. Mm. And the really lovely cinematography he did on those movies is what kind of uh, caught people's attention and got him the Lord of the Rings job. I was going to say I really enjoyed those films in, f- in terms of the cinematography. The, you couldn't mm-hmm. beat the first one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we do uh, wish uh, condolences to his mm-hmm. family and his friends, and we're very sad to hear about that. Uh, yes. So. Another person who died in filmmaking this week, uh, lesser known, but still very important. Uh, we had Jonathan Crombie, and Crombie. Oh, passed away. yeah. You, you actually inserted this. In, I didn't even see that you inserted it until you mentioned it just now, but I, I had – Kind of forgotten about it, but I don't know why because mm. uh, well, it may seem strange. You read all the but, books, right, TJ? Uh, no. Um, mm. I have read the first one, and, and more importantly, I was uh, as uh, uh, you know uh, raised as, in a homeschooling family. We were, of course, familiar with all of the uh, Anne of Green Gables and Anne of Avonlea films. Um, so, yeah, it was very sad to hear about him. He played uh, Gilbert Blythe, and uh, he certainly uh, seemed quite young to have uh, passed on at the age of 48, um, so that was also very sad. And I saw many, many, many tweets from many of my friends and many Facebook uh, people uh, mourning his death as well. Right. He died of a brain aneurysm, right? Yeah, I believe that's uh, brain hemorrhage. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, uh, yeah, he got uh, lots of good press coverage, everything from the New Yorker beyond. Uh, yeah. I remember liking him. I admired his performance as Gil when I was a child. Mm, I thought he was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was a little mean when he was playing the bully part, but, <laughs> uh, I was very young at the time. I didn't know any better. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I don't know, looking back in retrospect, whether I would say that the acting of, of any of the characters in Anne of Green Gables was top-notch, except for maybe maybe Marilla. Um, I would, I'd say Matthew, too. His performance is lovely. So, okay, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But but uh, certainly, uh, it's a classic, regardless, and he certainly was uh, well-known and well-loved. Uh, yeah. So. An iconic character. Yes, very much so. Uh, any, any idea what he did after the character? Was he still involved in filmmaking? 
Yeah, he. I'm actually looking at his um, filmography now. He mostly did television stuff. He appeared on a lot of different TV shows. In fact, his most recent credit was this year. Uh, he appeared on an episode of The Good Wife, um, the popular CBS show. So he kept yeah. doing stuff, British TV, Canadian TV, American TV, um, and a handful of movies. Well, he had something there. Yeah. Well, guys, I'm ready to move on from the sad yeah, stuff. We, sure, we need sure, to acknowledge sure. right. it, but we also need to move on. So I'm ready to, to dive into some more more fun news. And, Joe, this is another thing you've inserted in the outline since I did the initial uh, run at the outline. <laughs> and this is uh, National Superhero Day? What the heck? I didn't even Yay. know this was a thing. It is now. <laughs> IMDb did a lot of coverage. Uh, well, I mean, not a lot, but they put together a gallery of images where uh, fans are in cosplay alongside of several movie actors from big budget films. You know, we get to see Christopher Reeve in there and of course, what's his name? Uh, Michael Keaton as Batman. But then right after that, you start to see lots and lots of other interesting faces. Uh, just uh, lots of cosplay and lots of starring roles alongside of each other. And uh, it's interesting. Cosplay has come a long way. And not like we really needed it to, but no. it's, it's come a long way. <laughs> it's fine. I'm glad people enjoy it, but uh, yeah. Uh, uh, TJ, I can see you as a beast. Mm. I, th- I think that that would be your thing. That's okay. your style. Yeah, sure. Okay, Joe. So they've kind of <laughs> lost me here uh, with uh, one of these pictures is of Helen Slater as Supergirl. No, no, no. no. Still counts as a superhero. <laughs> no, I, I, I deny any the existence of any such thing. So since it is National Superhero Day, I do have to ask both of you uh, to name your favorite. Ah, good mm, idea. Mm, 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 mm. That's really hard, Clark. Well, I second know, favorite it's, it's might a, be harder it's a complex than, question. Yeah. You, you ask but, the hard questions. <laughs> second place might be tougher than first place, though. Mm, mm. Mm. Well, it's like, and I don't even know if I've, I've got all of them in my head right now. Um. Ah, boy, I really you don't have to. You don't have to remember all of them. Uh, all you have to do is remember. Well, your I'll make favorite. it easier on you. I'll, I'll say a favorite. A favorite. Okay. Well, I have several favorites. Um, and, and you have to understand from my perspective, I I don't read a lot of comics. Uh, I've read mm-hmm. a, a couple as a kid, but mostly my oh, my oh. um my knowledge or my uh, opinions will be coming based on the movies. Um, I I really enjoy uh, Captain America as played by Chris Evans. Uh, I really enjoy the journey of Iron Man uh, and Tony Stark, uh, and I, uh, you know, honestly, one of my, you know, I, from, as, as speaking as a kid uh, from Superman the movie, you, you got to enjoy Christopher Reeve's Superman. I mean, that's just uh, that's a no brainer. So, I mean, there those those uh, those are the ones that immediately come to mind. Hmm. I'm going to say that my favorite is uh, more obscure. Actually, I really enjoy DC Comics uh, uh, Captain Marvel. I don't like his stories wait, wait, very much. DC Comics has a Captain Marvel? What? Yeah, they lost it's, the it's, rights to it many decades ago, and Marvel Comics picked it up. They snatched it up, and then they created their own character around the name, using the name Captain Marvel, and then never relented and gave it back to DC Comics through an accidental slip of the copyright controls. Fascinating. So they had to rename the character after like uh, his catchphrase, which was Shazam. Uh, so yeah, the, he was the guy who would shout Shazam, Shazam. He was a boy and he would transform into a, a full grown man who had the power of like Solomon and Hercules and others like that. But some of the uh, premise was so compelling uh, over the years. I just love the premise. I don't think his um, stories are all that great, but I love his character. He was sort of a, um, he was, he kind of reminds me of, uh, he has the attitude of Spider-Man, some of that youthfulness and the the jokes, the wisecracks while he's 
you know, a, uh, a superhero, <laughs> but he looks like Superman in a red suit and a white cape. And, uh, always, he was always my favorite. I, I really enjoy the one, not of, um, graphic, uh, uh, tabloid comic by Alex Ross covering his or, origin story and one simple story about Captain Marvel. It's, it's my favorite. Interesting. Doesn't get enough attention. All right, Clark, we have to turn the tables on you. <laughs> um, I, I, okay, I'll give you two. I'll say uh, on the more obscure side, one that I really love is Martian Manhunter, uh, another DC Very Comics nice character. Yeah, he'd be um, out there. Yeah, he, he's a fascinating character. Um and uh, I think a very kind of deep and soulful character in a lot of ways. And then on the on the more popular side, uh, but a specific version of a more popular side, I would say Batman, but specifically the incarnation of Batman from the animated series. Interesting. Um, I love that version of the character um, more so than any other. Hmm. I'm going to elect the Blue Power Ranger as TJ's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure well on that happy note um we should uh move on to other superhero related news uh this is a rumor um that uh asa, asa butterfield is rumored to be marvel's top choice for spider-man and this is a rumor that begins swirling on uh, wednesday afternoon uh so that would be this is actually this is april 20th so wednesday afternoon i guess they're referring to last wednesday obviously um uh, da, 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 da. The, the, there are three or there are several runners up uh, nat wolf asa butterfield tom holland timothy chalmette and liam james and then it says update in the days since this short list emerged a new report says that asa butterfield is marvel's top choice for the role since captain america civil war is shooting now and will feature the new spidey the actor has to be locked down soon more details follow blah 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 so my question to you gentlemen is having seen asa butterfield in a few things and most recently in uh, the, the 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 book adaptation, um, <laughs> Ender's Game. Ender's Game. Thank you. Yes, there it is. I was looking for it. My mind was drawing a blank. So Ender's Game. Do you think that this young man, very very certainly young looking for sure, uh, do you think he can play the appropriate Spider-Man? Uh, uh, what, what do you guys think? Definitely. I'm sold. I saw his performances in Hugo and in the uh, in what was it called? Uh, yeah, Andrew's Game. Fantastic. <laughs> the, the guy is brilliant. I mean, like as a kid, you know, he he sells me on the part. Like he has the right look. He has the right, um, you know, uh, I, I would say that the dynamics. I, I mean, we haven't seen him, uh, to my knowledge, in a uh, character like Peter Parker. But I'm I'm completely convinced that he can do it. He, he's he's a decent actor. Mm. He's he's an exceptional actor. I will say that I don't know that he's right for Peter Parker. Yeah. And also, he's he's facing a kind of uh, insurmountable challenge here, which is trying to bring something new to a character that we've already seen twice uh, in the 21st century. Um, I, I really object to the whole notion of rebooting Peter Parker yet again. But uh, if we're going to have to do it, and if it is going to have to be one of those five similar looking kids that were being uh, bandied about. He would be the one, I guess. Yeah, I suppose so. You're absolutely right. He certainly faces an uphill battle. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a lot of goodwill towards Spider-Man after the amazing Spider-Man two. Um, and you know, he's been rebooted once now. He was played by Tobey Maguire. He has been rebooted by Mark Webb as played by, uh, uh, please help me with his name there. Uh, uh, Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. Thank you. Uh, so he has to follow in those footsteps and bring a new spin, yet a new spin on a character who's uh, had a new spin on him twice now. 
uh, it's certainly an uphill battle. And I, I just, from his performance in Ender's Game, I'm not seeing a lot of Spider-Man in there. I, I don't know. Well, and that's the thing, it, though I think he's a terrific actor. Uh, as Joe said, we really haven't seen anything uh, that resembles the character of Peter Parker and exactly. any of the other stuff that he's done. Um, but maybe they're going back to the Tobey Maguire route and going for a kind of somber, morose Peter Parker again. I don't know. <laughs> and if so, I'm sure he could play that. But Goodness, some of these, I'm pretty sure, I, I don't know if some of these have been photoshopped or whether he really has eyes this pop-out blue, but I just, have we ever seen Peter Parker with super blue eyes? That's weird. Some of these I thought his eyes were white. Size some of these, some of these have to be photoshopped. Um, th- this one certainly. <laughs> uh, I'll put this in the uh, the show outline, and this I'll makes try great to, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'll try to remember to put this in the show notes. Um, <laughs> there. Uh, that's not what I meant to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is great podcasting, guys. This is the, this is the theater of the mind right here. Well, I'll mention too. Have either of you seen uh, the boy in the striped pajamas? No, but I have heard of it. And what do you think? Uh, that's probably his best performance. And he was, I don't know how old he was, probably um, 10 years old or so when he made it. Mm. But um, a really lovely performance in in a strong, strong movie. So that's probably what got him the role in Hugo. Uh, Probably so, yes. Mm. All right, well, um, speaking of superheroes, we still have more superhero news. Why don't you tell us about this? Why not? This is Superbite. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you tell, tell us about this, Joe? Uh, actually, really? Okay, this is Daniel Bruhl uh, confirms Captain America Civil War character appearance. He's going to play a bad guy or something. Uh, why don't you tell me what is going on, TJ? I, have no, I really don't care. Uh, I mean, like, this is in the rumor mill section, right? It's practically rumor. Yeah, he confirms that he's going to be in Captain America Civil War. I, I mean, okay. I thought it was interesting because okay. I've enjoyed the roles that I've seen Daniel Bruhl in. He could have been uh, Gilbert Blythe. That's that's all I can say. Sure. Um, he, I, I've just I've just enjoyed him as an actor in various roles, and uh, he's confirmed that he's going to be in Captain America: Civil War, which will be coming up in uh, Marvel Phase Three, which is we're we're sneaking up on it. I mean, we're about to watch the end of Phase Two uh, for for next week's podcast, which is mm. the Avengers: Age of Ultron. Yeah, so, you know, you know, I was on Twitter earlier today, and Haley Atwell, who plays Peggy Carter was uh, commenting that uh, she's really excited for all of her friends that are about to start filming uh, the Civil War uh, this weekend. And I was like, you know what I'm excited about? I'm excited about seeing Age of Ultron this weekend. Let's get to that movie first. <laughs> Come on, Joe. You're such a spoil sport. What were you going to say, Clark? <laughs> uh, they're filming Civil War about a half hour away from where I live. Oh, nice. So I'm uh, a well, this is the South. proxy there. We need to come visit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. What, what do you think of Daniel Bruhl's acting, Clark? I, I like Daniel Bruhl quite a lot. Um, I thought he was the best thing about Rush. Um, yeah, absolutely. A couple For of years sure. ago. Yes. He was fantastic in that. Um, yeah. Although I don't want to give uh, short shrift to um, uh, Thor there. What was it? No, uh, Chris Hemsworth's performance yeah. was good too, but uh, Daniel Bruhl was really kind of the heart of that movie. Yeah, I would say so. In a lot of ways. And um, yeah, I, I've seen him in a handful of things. Uh, he was in the, oh, um, What's the Julian Assange movie? I forget the name yeah, of that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, he was an awful that. movie, but he was a good in it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he was in Inglorious Bastards, a pretty good pretty good little performance in that movie, too. The Fifth Estate was... was yeah, the Fifth Estate, there. yeah. Um, but I do like Daniel Bruhl. Um, he, was in a most, really, he was also in A Most Wanted Man. That's right. Yeah. That's right, and didn't have much to do in that movie. No, not really. But, but yeah, he's a good actor, though. Yeah, um, and, and mostly when I say I enjoyed him, his performance, I'm mostly talking about Rush. I thought he did a yeah. fantastic job in that film. 
And uh, I, I, I'm interested to see. So, so the rumor here, uh, five months after Daniel Brühl was cast in Captain America Civil War, the actor is finally ready to talk about his role. In a recent interview, he confirmed what we've long suspected. He's playing Baron Helmet Zemo in the movie. Uh, I don't Seriously, know what that you couldn't get me to read a comic book with that name on the cover. Uh, he says, I think I can tell you, tell you that without being thrown in the Marvel prison for the first few days, I'll walk around like a little boy, just amazed by the megalomania of it, of it. It's such a huge (laughs) project. We could do 20 films with the budget. Um, so, uh, probably the biggest budget film he's been involved in. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I have no idea who this character is. Do do either of you? Nope. No. (laughs) Okay. Well, there you go. So he's playing a new to us character. I'm sure he's known in the comic books. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was interesting that he's going to be in uh, Captain America: Civil War, and mm. and I am excited for uh, yeah. Civil War. I mean, I think that sounds really good. Um, I think it sounds like the uh, superhero infighting that will work way better than what we're about to talk about. Uh, see that segue that I did there? Uh, <laughs> uh, director uh, or uh, David Ayer has revealed the Joker from Suicide Squad. What uh, is Suicide Squad, TJ? Um, I, I don't know much about Suicide Squad. What I do know is from the TV show Arrow because I watch Arrow and I have a love-hate relationship with that show mm-hmm. and they have a Suicide Squad there. And I don't know how the Joker could be involved in the Suicide Squad. It seems weird. Mm. But apparently in this version of Suicide Squad, he's going to be involved. The actor sound, is – Yeah, it just sounds like the anti-Justice League. Well, I, <laughs> okay. So I can fill you in on Suicide Squad. Yeah, please. I, I'm kind of a DC Comics guy. Um, basically – uh, so, their comics are great. Um, <laughs> you have to trust me on that. Okay, I will. Or they were once upon a time. Um, anyway, Suicide Squad, the basic premise is it's a collection of villains um, who are overseen by the government. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically the government offers these villains a deal. They say you can join this team and you can help us take down other villains with your knowledge and your powers and your abilities and so on. Or you can rot in a prison cell. Take your pick. And so naturally, uh, the villains are like, yeah, all right, I guess I'll go on your uh, missions for you and help you out. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's a uh, darker, more dangerous uh, sort of Justice League and uh, one that's constantly kind of threatening to um, uh, fall apart at any moment for obvious reasons. But <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's a fascinating concept, and there have been some great stories over the years from that. So if if it's handled well, that could be an entertaining movie. It's actually one I'm looking forward to more than um, Batman Superman. I just DC uh, DC movies right now are just such a, a garbage fire. Uh, to use a, <laughs> a meme that I've been posting on Twitter a lot lately, um, I, I just mm, I'm not looking forward to it at all. It definitely sounds like um, you know the Suicide Squad I'm familiar with from Arrow populated a little differently. Um, mm-hmm. they've got, just got various villains that have joined the suicide squad in arrow. Um, and we've seen no Joker yet. Uh, we've had Deadshot, and, uh, boy, I don't know, a couple others. Uh, do you, do either of you watch arrow? I've I have seen the I, first I season. I'm okay. not yeah. caught up on it. Okay. I understand that everybody on that show is a superhero now pretty much. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, so, <laughs> so this, this picture of Jared Leto as Joker from Suicide Squad has been shared on the Twitters, and uh, it looks pretty crazy. I, I just, uh, there's just no subtlety here. There's no, no, I mean, it's just, I don't know. Ah, man, nothing. Nothing about this is appealing to me in any way. I don't care. I don't want it. I don't care. Do you guys have a different opinion? I would be interested to see the pilot because of the premise that Clark was explaining. 
It sounds more interesting than uh, if they said, hey, we got yet another Superman TV show. Check it out. I'd be like, nope. <laughs> we know this is, this is a movie, though. Yeah, yeah, it's a movie. Yeah, yeah, I know. But um, I'm indifferent to the picture. I'm honestly the sort of person who tends to be hesitant about um, judging a character based on an early sort of production still. I want to see some of the performance before I can actually determine whether or not it's worth watching. Yeah, I get that, but I just DC's movie stuff is really turning me off right now. I, I it's hard for me to get around that. Mm. Sure. Uh, David Ayer is a pretty solid director though. Okay. Um hmm. I don't know if either of you saw Fury last year. I thought that was a good film. Oh yeah. Oh. Interesting. So, in addition to featuring Jared Leto as the Joker, the cast also has Will Smith as Deadshot. So Deadshot is in the Suicide Squad here. Uh, Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. Uh, Joel Kinnaman's uh, Kinnamanus is, is that a mistype? Kinnaman. Kinnaman, yeah. There's a typo here. Oh, I see. They're just they're missing a space. Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flag, Kara uh, Del Vin Vigne Vin. I don't know as Enchantress and Jay Courtney as Captain Boomerang. Oh, and Viola Davis as Amanda Walker. So definitely some interesting casting there. So Viola Davis, in- uh, Amanda Waller is the sort of government operative who oversees everything. Right. She's also an Arrow. Uh, I was yeah. going to say earlier that at least in uh, – you said government entity. At least in Arrow, the government entity overseeing Suicide Squad is Argus. I don't know if that's comic book accurate or not. Mm. I don't recall. Yeah. So that's interesting that Will Smith is dead shot. Uh, that's, that's definitely interesting. I'm not sure – Trying to remember some of the other characters that have been in Suicide Squad on Arrow, I, I, I'm not sensing any um, any crossover f- from the the TV the DC TV series with the movies at all. Like, like kind of like no. what Marvel's trying to do. I, I don't think there's any crossover there. Well, and speaking of that, I, I, I read something interesting this week. I don't mean to sort of go too far off topic, but um, Joss Whedon has indicated that uh, in his mind, Agent Coulson, who's the star of the Agents of Shield television show while alive and well in that show in his mind is dead mm. in age of ultra it's interesting that you bring that up i actually read that that perspective and then i i read the full interview with joss whedon and he was taken a little out of context uh what he said was that there has been uh some dislike and some infighting amongst the uh executives and the teams that that run the show versus the movies and that that a lot of people were not on board at all with the tv show Mm-hmm. And uh, they they were not happy that Joss Whedon brought uh, brought Coulson back for the show because what I read uh, in the follow up to that was that Joss Whedon actually was the one that brought him back and it was his idea to bring him back and that right. but but because of the infighting they had to say basically well he'll be in the TV show but he's not going to show up in the movies anymore so he was taken a little out of context from what I can tell. Because I read that, and at first I was a little turned off by that because I was like, oh, come on, I'm enjoying Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., leave me alone. Uh, and then I, I read, like I said, it was actually earlier today, I read that full, or more more of the full interview with Joss Whedon. I thought, ah, see, right. there's but, a little bit of headline clickbait going on there in that previous one. But in fairness, though, the other part of that interview was him saying, you know, I, I feel like Coulson's death and the Avengers mattered, and for that to continue to matter, he needs to stay dead. Yeah, I, the movie, which it, it just doesn't make sense to me with Marvel sort of continuity. No, no, I, I completely agree that that statement uh, that he didn't need to make that statement, even if he feels that way. And it's um, it's frustrating because I'm trying to be invested in all of the Marvel universe. And I and they're saying this is all the Marvel universe. And so therefore, I feel it's a little odd that he's not going to show up in any Marvel movies, but he's alive and well. And he's the director. He's the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. for crying out loud. I mean, mm-hmm. this is this is a little bit ridiculous. 
So he, I've all, I've, I, I was, I was irritated that he hasn't shown up in any movie since the Avengers. Since they brought him back from the dead, he should show up, and and I still feel that way. I don't know. I suppose the part of the problem would be they'd have to explain it in the movies because they can't assume that the, everybody's watching the TV show. So that's that's been a little bit frustrating to me. But I, I definitely think I, I still think that Joss Whedon maybe shouldn't have said some of the things he said. But I also think that he was taken quite out of context in some ways in that original article that appeared about that. So that that's my opinion, at least. I did I did like that article though, uh, partially because Joss Whedon, now that he's sort of heading out the door at Marvel, feels comfortable with um, being entirely truthful about uh, everything he's experienced there, good and bad. Yeah, um, it, it was a pretty candid interview. Yeah, Joe, any thoughts? N- none really. I I don't know what to make of it because I like Agent Coulson. I like Joss Whedon's work. And I don't want to come between the two. I think that <laughs> from the standpoint of the audience, it's clear that Coulson's still alive. He just doesn't have to play an active role in the movies. And and you can understand because the uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. organization is so multifaceted that it's very inconceivable that he's just off on his own division. And his division doesn't need to do anything pertaining to, uh, yeah, you know, theories. You haven't section. been watching the TV show, have you? No, I haven't. Yeah, uh, it's I'm, not I'm a division. Next... He is the head and the director of Shield, such as it is now. But okay, I, I've watched a lot of the TV show, and I think that it's, it's easy to overlook that kind of detail because mm. he just looks like he's over a task force, and yes, he has a big flying ship and stuff. But you, you really like are not caught up on Shield. You, you need have... you need to stop before you really make yourself embarrassed. <laughs> My point here is is that he doesn't have anything to do with Fury, and Fury doesn't have anything to do with him. You don't see Fury in the you TV show. You are really, either. really not caught up. Are you serious? I'm serious. So so Samuel Jackson shows up in the TV show? Occasionally. I don't really? know if he's been in season two, but he, sh- he showed oh. up at the end of season one. Yes, yeah, um, yeah I, I haven't watched past about maybe the, the three-fourths of the way through the first season. Yeah, yeah. I, I, huh. I don't think that you're speaking from knowledge here, Joe. <laughs> I'm speaking from the audience's shallow standpoint of looking down at their phones while they watch a TV show and not really following along with the show, but really paying attention to their Facebook profile. Uh, That's a valuable and very specific perspective. Joe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. All right. I think we need to move on. Uh, we need to talk about the uh, primary review that we have uh, here in store for us. So we're going to move on and talk about the age of Adeline. Ma'am, it says here you were born in 1908. That makes you 45 years old. That's right. Adeline Marie Bowman was born on January 1st, 1908. Many years later, she would begin a family of her own. On a cold winter night in 1935, Adeline's life would change forever. That was from the trailer for The Age of Adeline, now in theaters. It was released on April the 24th, 2014. It had a budget of $25 million. Uh, the opening weekend, uh, that would have been this past weekend, and that's where it currently stands, is $14.1 million. The critics' consensus is that The Age of Adeline ruminates on mortality less compellingly than similarly themed films, but is set apart by memorable performances from Blake Lively and Harrison Ford. Uh, director Lee Toland Krieger, writers J. Mills Goodlow, Salvador, uh, here comes my, I, I don't know why I get to read these names, I don't even know how to pronounce that, 
Um, so the stars are Blake Lively as Adeline Bowman, Michael, here we go again, Hoosman, Heisman as Ellis <laughs> Jones, Harris Ford as William Jones, Ellen Burston as Fleming, Kathy Baker as Kathy Jones, and Amanda Crew as Kiki Jones. The composer was Rob Simonson. Do you know anything about this uh, Rob Simonson character, Clark? I uh, do not know a lot about Rob Simonson. Um, he's, uh, I liked his music for this movie. Yeah, I'm trying too. to look up now and see if I've heard anything else by him because his name is not that familiar to me. Okay. Um, yeah, he's written a few different things. He scored uh, Foxcatcher, co-scored Foxcatcher. Okay, okay, yeah. I haven't seen that, that one yet. Pretty good. Yeah, a couple things, but yeah, a, a lesser known composer who's done a lot of little movies. Yeah. All right, Joe, why don't you give us the storyline? Sure. What we have here is after miraculously remaining 29 years old for almost eight decades, Adeline Bowman has lived a solitary existence, never allowing herself to get close to anyone who might reveal her secret. But a chance encounter with charismatic philanthropist Ellis Jones reignites her passion for a life and romance. When a weekend, when a weekend, with his parents threatens to uncover the truth, Adeline makes a decision that will change her life forever. Forever, Joe. Ever, forever. Ever, forever. All right, guys. Yeah. Let's, mm-hmm. get, let's get into it. Let's see what we thought about this film. Do you have any uh, opening statements or general thoughts, uh, Clark? Um, opening statement, general thought. Uh, it's, it's a nice movie. Um, I liked it. it it's, it's a very sentimental movie. It's a very sincere movie, and I did appreciate its sincerity. Mm-hmm. Um, a little dull in the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The second, the second half, I think, is the stronger half of the movie, and we can get into the hmm. specifics of that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I liked it. It's a, it's a sort of old fashioned romance with some sci fi touches. Kind of reminded me of something like Somewhere in Time, um, mm. and it's just sort of heartfelt sentimentality. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. I, I also feel like it's sort of like a modern day Audrey Hepburn flick. A romance meets yeah. popcorn on a lazy weekend where you're just, you know, watching something with a dash of sci-fi in it to make it interesting mm-hmm. for the guys who are watching it with their dates. It also feels sort of like a, you know, I've heard this expression uh, tossed around by some reviewers and critics that movies are adult bedtime stories. And mm. if there it was ever a film that really feels like it's trying to evoke that almost intentionally – it's a film like this one where it feels like it's simple, sweet, romantic, impossible, overly sensitive, and a little uh, a little bit odd. But it somehow works because it just looks so beautiful that you just want to keep turning the page and see the next pop-up picture. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd have to disagree with you a little, Clark. I, I never found the film to be dull. Uh, although I, I suppose well, – Well, uh, only a little dull. Yeah. I, <laughs> I suppose I would agree that the second act certainly picked up a little steam – I actually enjoy a variety in in my films where a lot of people are like, you know, oh, superhero films are awful and bad and there's always there's just all about the beat them up, you know, bang them up explosions and, and, and then you get the people who wouldn't watch anything else and I'm, I'm somewhere in between. Like I, I like a good, you know, nice story and slow, like no, there's no action in this film at all and yeah. I enjoyed that as, as much as I'll enjoy Age of Ultron next week probably. Um so age of Adeline, age of Adeline, the prequel to age of Ultron. <laughs> sure. So I didn't find it to be dull and I enjoy it every moment of this film. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's just a, a fun story really. I mean, uh, we can get into the whole sci-fi, you know, trope aspect kind of, you know, shtick where it, it's almost like a, an excuse for the story to exist kind of a thing and not really the story doesn't, doesn't really 
bother to be believable or care about the sci-fi aspect of it. It's just a lot of fun, and it's uh, I, I really enjoyed. I mean, I, I, I was really invested in the character. Blake Lively is a far, far better actress than I would have ever imagined. Uh, having I've never seen a film with Blake Lively in it before, and I had not imagined her to be a good actress. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I can see she she uh, as I was doing some uh, some research and some reading up on her uh, in preparation for this podcast. Um, it seems that she's often criticized for lack of range. And I suppose having seen this film, I could see where that could be a possibility. And, and this is the only film I've seen her, and she was perfect for this role. Um, uh, so it would remain that, that's to be a great seen. way to describe it because it, she is playing a character that is very reserved. I would say she's clearly a, an introvert and then given the nature of her, her era when, when she was born and raised the, the, uh, sort of the, the uh, polite, uh, lady, uh, always very mannerly, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. raised in the city, very civilized, uh, going to cross all of her T's and dot all of her I's and, uh, that, that kind of prim and properness. That's it just kind of stuck with the character all through life. You can see how uh, that her skill set would work very well for the character of Adeline. Yeah, if we can just jump right into our, our likes, I, I particularly thought that her character, uh, as played by Blake Lively, was both well acted and well written for someone who was born in the early 1900s and who had, who would, in one sense, have a different style and sensibility in the way she comported herself and the way mm-hmm. she talked and acted. Uh, and at the same time, she uh, remained young, and uh, we assume both young of body and of mind. Uh, you know, n- not just young in in terms of her physical appearance, but you would assume she would remain, you know, the spring in her step. And and so she she seemed well adjusted to the time period she was in, but she also seemed like somebody who really could be from another era. I thought it was very very subtle and very well portrayed in that way. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. I, I really did like Blake Lively's performance in the movie, and it's 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 really nice the way she kind of subtly suggests um, a much older woman mm-hmm. trapped in a younger woman's body, and the way that she sort of uh, wistfully recalls anecdotes from the past, and the way that you might expect, you know, your grandmother to, um, and then she sort of catches herself a lot of times doing right. that, and yep. kind of, you know, tries not to throw anybody off. But, what was uh, it? She was a, some, some, uh, some, a uh, Bing Crosby, uh, a Bing right. Crosby, one of them, yeah. yeah. a young Bing Crosby type. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that would be lost on some of today's audience, but still sure. anyone who would be familiar with the, the nostalgia and history and the golden age of cinema couldn't escape that. You know, we, we, we do enjoy some Bing Crosby here and there. I actually have a lot of his music. And I like that uh, that that just little hint of kind of uh, old America refinement, that turn of the century, uh, almost slightly British flavor to her accent that uh, mm-hmm. sounds a little bit more like they spoke back then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a nice little touch. Along that line, they also sort of uh, brought that characterization to San Francisco. I mean, it's not quite uh, as uh, old-fashioned as you know, Adeline herself, but the way they characterized San Francisco feels like a very mature city, not one that we think of today where it's like a lot of people, you know, you know, uh, living their life in the streets and, you know, you know, there's scraps of paper everywhere and a dingy city with a lot of, you know, unemployed people and, you know, things always smell a little funny and you never know what you're going to find there. I mean, I love San Francisco. I've been on vacation in San Francisco. Don't take don't yeah, take and I was going to say there can be different aspects of San Francisco depending yeah. on where you're at in the it's city. It's just that what you see in the movie is the the side of San Francisco that <laughs> makes sense as the backdrop for Adeline. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and I also felt that this this film was particularly um, uh, it, it was adept at uh, there. There was a subtlety here I wasn't quite expecting. Um, I, I don't know what I, honestly I, I say that I don't know what I was expecting when I went into this film. I, I knew very little about it. I'd seen the trailer once several months ago, and um, so but but one of the things that happened in, during the course of this film is that suddenly you know, and I. I kind of thought uh, when I first saw the dog, and I know this is just this is about a dog, but bear with me. When I first saw the dog, and he was acting just a little bit old and, and sickly, and I thought, ah, I kind of know where this is going. But it's still when we got there, and she comes home, and the dog is very ill and lying on the floor and has to be put down. I mean, it was such an affecting scene. And I thought these these filmmakers mm-hmm. know what they're doing here. I mean, I, I I've never been affected by a dog in this way before. <laughs> uh, well, along those lines, it either had to be the dog or Fleming, her daughter. One of the both. two, right. You're right. Yeah. And I'm glad that they let the dog die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of Fleming, um, there's an old saying that uh, every adult becomes a teenager again when they're visiting their parents. Mm. And and I liked that uh, sort of youthful kind of petulant quality in Ellen Burstyn's performance. Yes, as the, you know, she, she, yeah, she steals every scene in a good way. <laughs> but uh, I mean, very complimentary to Adeline's character. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that Blake could live up to the performance from uh, what's her name, Burstyn. Ellen Burstyn. And, yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, uh, just a see, good I'm, performance. I thought they played well off each other, and, and I, I it, did too. Yeah, it was a very weird dynamic, as you would expect, where she's yeah, Ellen's yeah. mother, but Ellen is much older in, in physical appearance than her, and and it just it's a weird. And, and you've got the old, you know, the old woman saying, "What are you talking about? Go, go chase the guy, man." You know, what I mean, well, it's sort of like Sean Connery alongside of Harrison Ford in uh, the uh, Indiana Jones film. That just at, at times, no matter how good Harrison Ford is doing. He, 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 Sean Connery is stealing the scene just with his beard. <laughs> I mean, his beard is more interesting. So, you know, it just, it just happens. Uh, I think that Burst's uh, eyes, her expressions were very lively, as you were saying, Clark. It just uh, kind of steals the emotion of the moment. I had some uh, in, uh, other things that kind of stuck out to me. Uh, one of the things I've uh, said oftentimes over, the, over all the reviews is how uh, – I don't often find a film with colorization and contrast and filter effects and color grading that I like, but this is one that I do like. At the same time, I feel like uh, it's almost a bit cheesy, a little bit too clean and artistic hmm, really. in a way. Like uh, on the flip side, I mean, you know, I, I know this is over analysis and most of the audience really just won't care, but it is also style. It is intentional style. Very much so. And what it, what it struck me as – is it, it, every little scene looked like something that was shot for an Omega watch ad in a lifestyle magazine. You know, oh, there's Leonardo DiCaprio. What is he sporting on his wrist there? Whoa, where did he get that tan? Well, you know, that tan isn't real in real life. Like, you know, Leonardo is tan, but he isn't that tan. And his suit isn't that blue. And the sky isn't that, you know, whatever. But it, the point is, is it like it just it, – it struck me that way throughout this film. And, I, and it was actually quite refreshing because there have been so many movies with drab of you know colorization or just a sort of a, a sickly look, or they looked straight up a little bit too plain and and unstylized, and we see a lot of this sort of thing. So th- th- I, you know, it's a different sort of look and feel to a picture, and I liked it consistently throughout the entire film. It was very refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I will agree. I think you're more picky about it than I am. I I'm happy to let the I spend way too much time in Photoshop and looking at my levels and such. <laughs> no, I get it. I'm happy to let the uh, director and the uh, 
the colorist and, and the things have their choices and live with them to, to more of an extent than you, although I can, I can get picky about it too. But I'm glad that you right. like this film because I did too. I, I, did, I did enjoy the look of it. And it, it's one of those things, I think you pay more attention to it than I do where I, I let the whole effect sort of absorb and I don't pay attention to the details as much as you do. But I, I, did, I did enjoy the look of this film. I thought it had a very, uh, a very rich, uh, textured um, look to it that, that I, I don't know how else right. to put it. It was very, it was very pleasing. It's, it's, it's very sentimental. It's very, um, old fashioned. It's, it's not quite a technicolor look. Uh, yeah. I think Joe's onto something when he talks about that kind of glossy ad look, mm-hmm. there were times when mm-hmm. I was thinking of a perfume commercial, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the first half. Yeah. But, uh, it, it works for this movie and for it's very sort of, um, romantic aesthetic. In a way, in supporting the story, you'll notice that for while they were establishing Adeline's character, her history, her life, they show moments in the 60s and 50s and before that. And so they kind of stylize the color to Mm -hmm. uh, reflect the time and what we remember about that era and their own style. So there's a very brief moment when you see her in the 50s running away from home, uh, trying to sneak away from the authorities. And (laughs) the scene is almost comically uh, portrayed as being sort of like um, a Technicolor uh, television show colorization, like something you'd see for the Andy Griffith show when it came to color. Um, but it's just for that small moment where it's like, what exactly are they doing here? Oh, okay. They're trying to reflect the time and how we make association with that era. Um, but it, but even though it could, it could have failed, it could have fall, fallen flat on its face. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about um, something that I think is the elephant in the room here, and, and it's something you mentioned on Twitter, Clark. Um, and that is that I think this may be the best performance we've seen from Harrison Ford in a very, very long time. Uh-huh. Um, mm. th- this was almost like the movie's ace in the hole. Uh, like, it, it, who knew Harrison Ford could still be so charming and endearing, right? I mean, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's one of those things that could have gone, easily gone very wrong because here is Adeline as Jenny – uh, with his uh, son, which, uh, surprise, surprise, I mean, right, I mean, these connections that rarely happen like this in real life, right? But this is the connection sure. the movie makes. And I liked him as Branch Rickey in 42. <laughs> I thought he did a great character. That's true. I, I, yeah, you're right. But I, I think this is a better performance. Um, and so it could have very easily gone wrong, I think. Like, the whole thing could have gotten weird. Yes. And I think this movie walked a really fine line in not letting it get weird, and, and yet letting the performances shine and letting you be touched by the 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 thing that could have been and was not and also demonstrating very ably that you know what yes he was when he saw her it was an old uh love he had almost proposed to her and she ran off and so that affection and that love and that all that was still there and yet he really did love his wife too like it wasn't like a question you know i I really appreciated the way this movie handled that entire situation (laughs) and this is you know it's maybe the most vulnerable performance I've seen from Harrison Ford. There, there's something very, yeah. very raw and affecting here. Maybe that's and what that, I'm. That's kind of what's way, what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and and that that um, you know, that sort of low growl of a voice that he has. <laughs> you hear you hear these kind of heartbroken cracks in it when he speaks, and it's just so deeply affecting. Um, and the other thing is that I, I think the story that he's working with has an emotional resonance that transcends pretty much everything else in the movie. And it's so strong and so powerful that uh, the sort of central romance kind of takes a back seat for most of the second half of the movie uh, to the story of uh, Adeline and William. And 
man, uh, the, the way Harrison Ford plays those scenes with that just uh, mix of tenderness and, and heartbreak and regret is just incredibly powerful stuff and really one of his most committed performances I've seen in quite a while. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Joe, what do you have to say? Well, I just made a note in my notes when I was watching the film, Harrison Ford can act. And so, that yeah, that, <laughs> I agree 100%. Yeah, I, I have seen some performances of Harrison Ford that seemed a little wooden and, and like, what, what are we doing here? And, and maybe he's playing the same character he played in the last movie, and this wasn't that at all. And and neither, you know, you're right, I'd forgotten about Branch Rickey, but I really did enjoy him as Branch Rickey. So so maybe he's one of those actors that's getting much better in his old age. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, TJ, I really like the scenes uh, with him and his wife, too, which are, are appreciably complex moments where – He's assuring her, you know, that that she's the one that he really loves. And I think he's in those scenes, he's trying to sort of assure himself of that, too, mm-hmm. yeah. while he's experiencing all of these, you know, sort of strong, intense emotions he hasn't felt in, in decades. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I enjoyed about the overarching film was that it was um, borderline, uh, like it mentions in the uh, summation the, uh, in Rotten Tomatoes, that it harkens to several other stories we've seen of late. And I still feel like this does a good job of not overly copying other, uh, you know, other creations, other shows, other movies. There's a television show right now my mother is watching or has watched called Forever about a guy with a similar case uh, concept. Uh, I don't know that it's a romantic story, but it's a guy who's uh, living uh, youthfully and uh, it's like his adopted son or something grew old and who's is much older than he is. And so there's that sort of family father son dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's not an original concept and uh, neither is the romance. Neither is the, uh, the estranged loved interest, <laughs> an original concept. It's just the right ingredients to sort of give it a interesting, unique take that we have this, you know, what would it be like if this scenario happened? And I think that it actually opens up the opportunity to explore the theme, which is pretty powerful in this film. Uh, where is it in my notes? Uh, yeah, it was just, I, I felt like the theme was pretty cool because it, it's a, a coming, um, it's sort of this acceptance of your age. And, you know, right now it seems like everybody is hating on their, their birthday. And I, I, I turned 30 this year and I don't mind saying that. I don't mind telling you when I turn 90 that I'm 90. I am I'm finding it a little bit frustrating how many people hate to grow older. Mm-hmm. But it's a huge part of all of our life experience. So what's interesting is that the the film offers you the uh, the chance to see well what would it be like if you were stuck at thirty at twenty nine you know just just what if what would it be like if you if that was what you were dealt would you would you prefer that you know well and I mean I if you were the film if, does a good job if there were others with you that could would would stay with you I think it would be different. But what I think what this movie is demonstrating is it's not such a good thing if you're the only one that's like people are, you know, growing old all around you and you can't form lasting connections. Right. And the kind of great, great irony of Adeline's situation is that though she's been blessed with essentially eternal life, uh, she doesn't have the opportunity to really live. And, um, you know, uh, that's sort of a a tragic thing. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it's funny, Joe, that you you talk about. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not afraid to share my age, and it, and I'm I'm not either. And it's something that I think that uh, we've come to grips with. But you have to admit, there's there's something about the the human condition where you know we are growing older, and eventually we're going to die. 
And it's something that we don't like to face and, and grapple with. And I, I think that this is something that the, the movie plays up, you know, it plays upon uh, is, is that entire concept where she comes to this point, like she maybe did consider it a blessing for a while, but now she wants to be free of that. You know, and she never says as much, but it's obvious, you know, at the very end of the movie, you know, that scene where she finds that, that one gray hair because, right. because of the crazy sci-fi thing that, that happened, uh, you know? <laughs> um, and it's like, yeah, things are going to be fine. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's definitely an interesting twist on that in, in that concept. I want to talk about the, uh, the the crazy sci-fi thing for just a second because this is sort of hilarious to me. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, oh. it it's, okay, well, that's so, getting so into the, the, is, is that getting into your dislikes? I just have well, to ask. Not, not really. It's, okay. it's, it's in a middle territory. Okay. Um, this is technically a science fiction film. Technically, um, yeah. You're absolutely right. Technically. Um, and, and the thing is, they say everything that happens is completely scientific, but <laughs> the science that we need to explain this will not be discovered till 2035. <laughs> I thought so, that was going to come into play somewhere, and it never did. So uh, don't worry about it. It is science, but it, it, it's it's amusing to me that they want to assure us that this is a scientific development, that it's not fantasy, that it's not something supernatural, that it's not magic, that it's not any of that. This is real science, but we just can't explain it. Till the future, so just accept that. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of weird. That, that's kind of hilarious to me. <laughs> I, I I honestly thought when the guy said won't be discovered until twenty thirty five, I thought we're gonna find out at the end of this film. We're gonna flash forward, and the narrator is gonna be like the Ellis dude or something. You know, I didn't know who it was when he said that, but I thought at, at some point I thought, okay, so this is somebody in the future telling the story about Adeline, and it never never panned out. Like it never went anywhere. Like the two thousand thirty five thing never came up again. It was just a weird thing to say. And really, it's like it's a single line that separates this, um, that makes this a science fiction film instead of a fantasy film. It's really uh, yeah. just that one it is. throwaway bit. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, it's like they were definitely wanting to position it differently. And and I feel like, honestly, this would actually slightly be a dislike for me. I feel like it would have played better as fantasy rather than sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That was one of the things about the film Hugo, right? Uh, I only saw it twice, but if I remember right, right, they dabbled with the idea of something that resembles magical and supernatural without actually defining any of their terms and saying what was a, uh, a, na- a naturally caused event or not. And I-, I thought that that was very well played where they left it just shrouded in mystery. And I think that this film could have been improved if it could have been staged that way. Absolutely. That that was my prevailing thought while the narrator was telling us what was going on. And this is we're, – we're, we're moving into dislike territory and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I felt like the, the narrator didn't need to tell us almost anything. In fact, I felt like I would have restructured the movie to work without the narrator because – I agree with you. Yeah, I, I – I, 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 you know, my, my film, film debut is upcoming still. So you take this with a grain of salt, but I, I just, the, the whole narration thing just felt forced and odd at times. And, and I, I didn't want him telling me all this. And what I wanted them to do was show me what was happening. Like she went through this thing. She got in an accident. Don't tell me it's sci-fi. Don't tell me it's fantasy. It is what it is. Let us figure it out. It wouldn't and, take us very long either. No. All we could have easily seen after this car wreck that this lightning thing and, and then what do you know? She's not aging. And no, we would have. It's, the, it, it's it, the kind of thing that where I wondered if like they had shown this to test audience of, you know, women over the age of 35 and the, a huge, you know, group of them said, we had no earthly idea what was happening for the first half of the film because the girl just doesn't age and but, that didn't but, make any sense. But I you think know. that would have improved the film. Even if you don't figure it out, you're eventually going to have to figure it out that, hey, this thing happened. I don't know what it is, but since that day, I haven't aged. 
And in the review uh, I was writing earlier today, one of the things that I said was that, you know, for the first few minutes of the movie, you're really wondering, is this movie ever going to stop telling and start showing? Mm -hmm. Because it's just an exposition info dump uh, at the very beginning there, the first five (laughs) or ten minutes, where it's like she was born and then she got married and then they had a kid and then her husband died in an accident. She was in this accident and there's this science thing and there's this whole thing and there's her daughter and her daughter's a teenager. And, you know, it's like, okay, let's, yeah. just, let's just get to the movie. I, I agree. And yeah. I, the thing is, like, I'm a hard sell on narration ever, ever, ever. And and this was not well done narration. Like, I didn't enjoy the voice. I didn't enjoy what he was saying. No, nothing about the narration ever felt right. 80% of movies that have narration don't need it. Absolutely. And just use it as a crutch. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about this film is I think that you could almost just take the narrator out completely, watch the same film, and it would be superior. Like you, you wouldn't have to reach – you wouldn't have to really change the film except for just getting rid of the narrator. I, I agree. I think it would play better. <laughs> I think there are some things they could do to restructure that would make it work better without the narrator. But I think even as is, just like you say, taking out the narrator would improve the, the, that, those parts of the film. Or just changing his voice. I, di- I didn't like his yeah, voice. Yeah, his voice was not good. Um, I like the voice. I, mm, I did. Yeah? Mm. Uh, it, had, it had a very kind of uh, old-fashioned PBS documentary quality. But, but yeah, that's that, the thing. Mm. is like this film did not strike me at all as like a PBS yeah, special. Yeah. If, well, if, if the narration had actually been well-written or informative, uh, it would have worked. But um, I didn't take issue with his voice, just with what he was saying. Mm, okay. Uh Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like the narration in any event, whether it was the voice or not. No matter what the voice, I felt like it wouldn't. It would have worked better without. Did either of you happen to see um, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford? Mm-mm. I think I did. I am a little vague on the details, though. The same guy actually narrated that movie, uh, oh. and his narr- his narration was much more effective and mm. much more purposeful in that case. Well, narration oh, yes, can yeah. be done well. One of the few exceptions, normally when there's narration in a movie, I come away thinking, yeah, let's see, take it out there, take it out there. Yep, would have been 100% better without it. The, there's very few exceptions. One of those would be Lord of the Rings. I felt that was used to great effect, talk, telling about the ring, and all that. I, I get all that. But generally, I would say, you know, if you're, if you're a filmmaker and you're listening to this podcast, which is highly unlikely, but if you are, don't really think hard about whether you need the narration. You probably don't. And, and, and in this case, what it comes off as is not trusting your audience to, to – to, A, you're not trusting your audience to put the story together, or and or B, you're not telling the story well visually. And that's that's really what it is more often than not, I, I think, is that filmmakers sort of rely on narration when they can't find a way to uh, tell the story cinematically. Right. And and it's it's a shortcut and it's lazy and it's you know there there are certainly times where narration is is necessary and creative and essential to the way a film works. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm certainly not saying ban all narration, but yeah, a lot of times it is just a lazy storytelling crutch. Repeat after Movies me. Movies are not audiobooks. Yeah, absolutely. Repeat after me, show, don't tell. <laughs> all right. Uh, other dislikes, uh, I've, I've gotten one out there, uh, which is the narration thing. So one of you two throw something out there. Okay. Regan, uh, who is Ellis's sister, she has a pretty clever little introduction when, uh, Ellis and Adeline are coming to visit the parents and they're pretty sure you're talking about Kiki. Oh, I got her name mixed up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Kiki, uh, maybe Regan's the actress's name. Uh, Mm, Kiki. Amanda Amanda Crew is her name. Okay, well, who the heck is Regan? <laughs> I, I, I do idea. not know. I, I believe you've made her up. Okay. Well, 
maybe that was just an autocorrect. <laughs> but yeah, so Kiki, um, pretty clever introduction. You know, she uh, she's kind of snarky. She's fun. And then there, uh, there's the uh, moments at dinner, and then there's the moments around the trivia, the, uh, the what is it, um, trivial, uh, pursuit. trivial Pursuit. And I noticed very quickly that the only time you really ever get to see her face on screen when she sings anything interesting or clever was the one scene where she was introduced. And the rest of the time, she's off camera when she says something that evokes her character. And then when she's on camera, she's saying something that's a throwaway line. And it just, you know, I, I know she's not important. I know that she doesn't have a character arc. I know that she's not central to the story, but I felt like she added a lot of dimensionality to Ellis. And then they didn't do anything to explore that or to develop it. There's one exception to what you're saying where the, you're right. I, I did notice throughout most of the film, they, they really minimized her with one exception at the very near the very end of the film. While uh, Harrison Ford was giving that speech as William Jones was giving that speech. Um, they cut to her like three or four times and it felt very weird. Like I didn't know what was going on there. <laughs> they cut straight to her face and just hung on her face. I'm like, what is happening? They it didn't was, have any other shots. They didn't yeah. have any other B-roll. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have any other way to cover the shot is what it felt like. The, the room was too crowded and they couldn't move the camera. They yeah. got lazy. <laughs> I don't know. And Anyway, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. By the way, I did find Regan. Uh, that was the uh, blind pianist. What? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, I just did a okay, copy and paste job problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so, so there was that. Another thing uh, we brought up earlier that we enjoyed Harrison Ford's performance. I, I still feel like uh, that being said, um, some of the uh, the relationship execution between Mr. and Mrs. Jones was weak, even though on the flip side, Harrison Ford's speech at their 40th anniversary near the end of the film was amazingly well done. Phenomenal. Yeah. Like that drove it home. Like you said, what was it? Um, just, uh, uh, just, it just showed that they, they, they had, they went out with a blaze of glory with that, with that particular speech. I, I'm going to disagree though. On the other part, I, I felt like their relationship was very well drawn, even though it's only sort of sketched out in three or four scenes. Uh, I thought, each one of those played very, very truthfully and and with a good deal of nuance. I, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't I'm, take I'm, any issue with I'm that. With, I'm with you, Clark. Hmm. Speak, speaking of Harrison Ford, I just want to insert this. I meant to do it earlier. Um, Anthony Ingruber, who played young Harrison Ford, William, whatever his name was, um, he he. I, I remember thinking during the film, boy, they found a Harrison Ford lookalike. This is pretty amazing. It's, you can tell it's not Harrison Ford, but it's very close. And like he has the mouth thing down just right and the yeah, smile. That little that little smirk. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, so I I did a little research on him and I found that he basically got famous with his YouTube channel here, uh, where he would impersonate Harrison Ford. So here here I got a clip. On solo, I'm Captain Millennium Falcon. Sure, you're tells me you're looking for a He's not as good as the guy last week. But he's Fast pretty good. Ship. And it's mostly the facial expression, so this doesn't Never work well on radio. <laughs> yeah, but, the, uh, the the voice is is kinda similar, but the but the face, yeah, uh, the little the little mannerisms he does uh with his facial tics. Yeah. It's pretty on point. I'm, I'm going to drop uh, in, into the show notes for our listeners two, um, two links. One for him doing that terrible audio quality but good impression of Harrison Ford and the other doing various impressions, which are all pretty good. Uh, hmm. Those will be in the show notes. So just wanted to point that out. Very cool. Uh, one of my other details here is that I felt like going back to something you said, Clark, that the first half was maybe a little bit weak. Uh, would you say drab, uh, dull? 
but then the second half was more engaging. Uh, a, I, a little bit dull. I don't think it's bad. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, and I understand that. There is a, a different tonality to the first part versus the second part. From the moment they visit the parents onward, it has a different feel to it, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine. It, it doesn't it doesn't break continuity of the story. But I noticed also the first half of the film, you had a lot of engaging scenes with Ellis and engaging scenes with Adeline and then engaging scenes between the two of them. And in the second half of the film, uh, because they had so much to develop concerning William Jones that uh, it kind of got weak when it pertained to their main character, Adeline, that she didn't have as much to do. She was waiting for certain kind of cues seems like they were kind of beating about the bush uh, from like uh, one beat to the next or scene or sequence to the next mm. to allow things to somewhat mechanically happen until she would have an emotional, uh, you know, like breakdown and she would jump into a car and run. You know, See, it was, I, it was mm-hmm. lingering a little bit awkwardly. I have a slightly different take on this. Um, and I, I actually liked everything Adeline did in the second half of the film. And I liked what they did with her. Um, to me, uh, one of my dislikes, and it's not really really a genuine dislike, but one of my disappointments is Ellis, actually. I, I don't think he's as interesting a character as he could have been. Um, and it's hard to say. I, I think it's more the writing than the performance. Um, he, he's, he's a pretty generic sort of uh, wealthy, charming, playboy kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... and while his scenes with Adeline are are effectively played, they do feel a little generic and a little familiar. And yep. I think p- p- part of the reason the second half works so well in contrast to the first, I think the depth of William's character uh, kind of demonstrates how shallow the Ellis character is in contrast. And uh, he, he's sort of exposed for the, the somewhat less interesting love interest that he is. Um, again, not a terrible character. And I think the actor sort of does what he can with him. Uh, he, he has a few decent moments here and there, but, um, he was sort of the wink, the weak link in the cast. I completely me. agree. That is in fact, one of my notes uh, here that I wanted to make a point of in my dislikes. Um, I did not like Alice at first. I think he got better over the period of, over the course of the film. I agree with at, that. At, at first I thought, what in the, this guy's jerk, you know, and, yeah, and won't, when won't, actually the first leave her shot alone. of him, the very first shot of him at the new year's Eve party, I was just like, Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be that movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so I didn't like him at first and it was, it's such, so unlikely that a woman of Adeline's, you know, like, like seasoned experience and her long life would, would fall for this, this jerk. I, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't buying it and, and it, it got better, but it was never great. It was a, it was a very weak link. And in addition to the, that side, like, 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 why would she ever fall for him because he's being such a jerk is the, the other side where she continually made it known that she was not interested in him. Why? There was no reason for him to keep pursuing her. I, I never understood why he was doing that. And he did, you know, uh, their their relationship started on a kind of weird, uncomfortable note with him just about blackmailing her yeah. into going out on a date with him. Absolutely. Uh, it, it is a little a little kind of weird and creepy the way that begins. And he does get more appealing as the movie goes along. But uh doesn't make a good first impression. No, and especially like in real life when when he basically stalked her and found out where she lived and then she's dealing with this thing where she just had to put down her beloved pet and and she she's you know maybe going to call him later but needs to just some time to herself and and then he just shows up like 
that that would have ended the, like she would have gotten a uh, a restraining order right there. There's like an alternate version of this movie where the second half of it is actually him like stalking her, and it turns into this <laughs> terrifying Hitchcockian thriller, right? Horror, horror but, movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that I found to be the whole thing there to be a little tenuous. So, um, and then uh, I alluded to this earlier: the connection between current lover and former lover father thing that doesn't happen in real life well what are the what are the odds you know like he she she winds up hooking up with the son of a former love interest from the 60s which she which she was with in, in london i think it was like no <laughs> i don't i'm not buying it it was a little weird uh, the, and i think that's just part of the film's kind of uh romantic storytelling um very similar to the sort of sci-fi contrivances that are used at the beginning and end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's, it's clear that this is a convenient storytelling device and you're just expected to go with it. Mm -hmm. But all right. What else have you guys got? I had one more note here. I, I, you want to, we've said a lot about the arc of the story, the first half, second half things at the, uh, the beginning, the middle, um, sort of the, the 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 feel and of the tonality of the second half first half I'm I'm actually really somewhat disappointed with the with, I would just want to say weaker uh, ending segment feel like everything coming into the climax the third act or whatever you want to call it just um, was uh, I, I'm not usually one to be disappointed with a film because it's predictable but I predicted certain things after a certain point. And then the fact that pretty much every last detail actually happened based on my pred- predictions, I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's no fun. Uh, <laughs> wish it was some kind of curveball in there somewhere. Uh, the only curveball was sort of the deus ex machina moment. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> you went there. Okay. We're, this is how we create a story, people. We, we use uh, God and natural causes and near the beginning of the film to create an impossible situation. But then we accept that because if you didn't have that, you basically wouldn't have the story at mm-hmm. all. But then for the, uh, for things to just work. Oh, so picture per picture, you know, picturesquely uh, at the very end to put a little bow on it and to make most everything feel complete. You, you have to have a, a another reversal. And uh, I, I don't know. It just, I wasn't crazy about how they, they pulled that off. Mm. I, I agree. The ending was a little bit, uh, a little bit limp and especially uh, this wasn't quite at the end, but building up to it when the narrator makes his dramatic return and starts over explaining again about <laughs> yes. the details of hypothermia. Uh, yes. <laughs> I see. I actually enjoyed the end. I did not enjoy the narrator. But I enjoyed the the way the story ended. I, I was his happy whole in his whole little. Uh, now let me explain the metaphor of this final shot. <laughs> yeah, which you would have known in case you uh, didn't get it. Dialogue earlier. Here, let, let me, me beat you over the head with a comet. Why you should be moved by this image of this comet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. we're just gonna beat you over the head with this comet and see if you survive. <laughs> uh, it's no big deal. Uh yeah, it was. Uh, that was a little frustrating, but but I enjoyed the the, the conceptually I enjoyed the end, uh, and I don't I don't mind predictability to some extent, um, and I I I knew that the film would have to end with Adeline returning to her aging process. You think so? Yes. Oh come on! See, uh, it feels like it's just making it all, all too easy for the audience to come to grips with the narrative. I would have been happier if we had seen 
Adeline comes to grips with her problems and she chooses to live her life the way she, you know, like, like, uh, you know, actually live life and, and commit to change in spite of her condition and just live that way. Like, you know, they they kind of proved the point that as much as it was a blessing, it was also a, a major handicap on life. And based on our own experience with handicaps, nine times out of 10 or more, when you get handicapped in life, you don't, there's no going back. You don't get uh, unhandicapped. And, and I think that it's uh, something, it's less relatable. Anybody who becomes blind know what it's like to be stuck being blind the rest of their life or something. And so to give her the Yeah, you easy become daredevil, out, right? Just, uh, it was too easy. Yeah. <laughs> Daredevil-less. Uh, sure. And that's how Age of Adeline does tie into the Marvel. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's, that's her secret power. Yes, yes. It's just another super flick. All right. You guys want to button this up? Oh, it was. Uh, I had one more thought. Okay. It, it's still a better romance than Twilight. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's uh, tie this up and put a bow on it, sort of like Age of Adeline did. And let's, uh, Clark, why don't you reveal to us your final thoughts and your star rating of this film? My final thoughts. Uh, Age of Adeline is is a lovely little film. Um, it, I, I wish we had more movies like this, honestly. Mm-hmm. And and I, as I mentioned towards the beginning of uh, our review section here, I, I do appreciate its sincerity, its sort of genuine sentimentality in an age where. Uh, everything is trying to be snarky and clever and hip. It's nice to see uh, a filmmaker um, that has so much confidence and in, in the sort of emotional truth of his story that he's just willing to go for it uh, the way this movie does. Um, it's a good movie uh, highlighted by a fantastic Harrison Ford performance and, and a strong central performance from Blake Lively too. Um, I would recommend it and I'd give it a rating of we're, we're doing this out of five stars, right? Correct. Yes. Uh, three and a half out of five. Okay, very good. And Joe? I, I give it three and a half as well for basically the same reasons. And another th- nice thing about it is that you know, ultimately anything that you were concerned about for the first half of the film, it, it works out. It, it gets better um, you know, progressively throughout the film. Um, you know, the weak points we already addressed are really just the only concerns that tear it down. You know, it could have, it could have been better with a little bit of work here and there. Like, you know, if there's a, uh, a, d- a despecialized edition without the narration, maybe I'd give it an, an extra <laughs> half a star. All right. And for my part, I, I completely agree with you, Clark. I, I want more movies like this. I wish we had more movies like this. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a very, very earnest, very, you know, strong storytelling, uh, you know, it doesn't, it, it, that's not trying to be hip or snarky. It just, it, it is what it is. And it's telling you a good story. And, yeah. uh, for that reason, I rate it four out of five stars. I, yeah. I completely enjoyed myself. Uh, I would definitely recommend people see it. And I want, I want this movie to do better. I, I want it to do well and tell, and so that producers know and, and filmmakers know this is the sort of film we want. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen because it's not the sort of film people want. This is the sort of film I want and I want more of it. So mm. four out of five stars. You're trying to you're trying to tilt the rotten tomato meter there, huh? Well, yes. It, it, it looks like the the box office <laughs> isn't too bad for a movie of this budget. Uh, Fourteen million for its opening weekend is pretty decent for a twenty five million dollar mm. movie. So I think it'll easily sort of uh, recoup its production cost and maybe pick up some good word of mouth. Yeah, I'm a little frustrated by the tomato meter. Uh, I, what cr- critics are not very kind to this film. It's only at fifty four percent approval from the critics, which I would have expected to be a little higher. Well, I, I think you have to 
you have to be willing to to accept um it, it's sort of unashamedly corny tone mm. basically and i feel like there were a lot of critics who couldn't get past the kind of hokey premise of the thing to to see any of the movie's other virtues i i think that's fair it's a subjective viewer thing but uh, i'm also a little disappointed that that more people didn't uh, see the virtues of this one well it's sort of like all these critics they love to complain about the the uh, shoot 'em up you know blast uh, you know boom go boom movies and then you get a nice lovely film uh, like age of adeline and they don't like it either it's like you can't please them that's that's what's frustrating to me. <laughs> we critics are a cranky bunch. We're very cranky. I thought the problem was actually that they got their tickets mixed up with the Age of Ultron tickets, and so they thought they were just saying <laughs> they're like, very different. you know what? I do appreciate that they're trying to go quieter with the sequel, but this is uh, really just a disappointment after all those uh, Phase Two build-up movies. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how much Completely longer you. I don't know how much longer you can keep this uh, Age of Ultron Adeline joke going, Joe. And Thankfully, Harrison Ford as Ultron is just weird, <laughs> weird casting. He's just sad, and I, I don't know. I, I, I'm glad that we're at the end of this podcast. I, I don't think we need to continue down this road. <laughs> so with that, we're going to wind down this show, and we are going to be reviewing The Age of Ultron next week with Jim Metzendorf, uh, who uh, we uh, had on to talk about another film. I don't remember which one. But we also said at that time that we would have him back on the show to talk about Age of Ultron, and we have we have done so. We have him on the schedule. So he'll be joining us next week. That'll be a lot of fun. He, uh, he used to run a, a podcast called The Comic Book Shack or Comic Shack. I don't remember. Uh, so he's going to be well-versed in these sorts of things, so that'll be a good fit. In the meantime, before we review the big blow em up uh, Joss Whedon movie, uh, Clark, where can people keep up with your work on the internet? I, I hear you're running a website these days and you're writing a review like every day. Goodness. Every single day. Yes, indeed. Um, that's, that's the premise of the website. Uh, they can find my stuff over at 365movieguide.com. Um, they can also follow me on Twitter at 365movieguy where they'll find uh, links to all that stuff. And I also write for uh, DVD Verdict. They can find some of my stuff over there. And I'm on uh, WHIE Radio in Griffin, Georgia, if anybody's in the South Atlanta area um, and wants to tune in. All right. But, That's uh, where all yeah. of our listeners live. And right. you still occasionally do the Sounds and Sights of Cinema. I, I, one came out the other day. I was like, whoa, I haven't seen this in a while. Yeah, uh, there, there have been some uh, kind of technical issues with getting those out. But, uh, yes, I'm still doing it. The, the technical issues were diapers. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's it's a different thing. Okay, all right, Joe. I won't we're... get to the politics of all that. Uh, okay, <laughs> I get it. All right, Joe. Where can people keep up with you on the internet? I'm writing at techtonic.fm. That's T-E-C-H tonic.fm, and I podcast there about technology. And then I also podcast about coffee at topbrew.fm. You're just a prolific podcaster. And then I podcast for Movie Byte, the podcast. You can find that on iTunes and where you're listening to this in your podcast player right now. <laughs> right. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at TJ Draper Pro. Uh, and if you want to get show notes for this episode, uh, you will probably find them in your podcast app of choice. But should you desire to find those on the web, you can also do that at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 135. Uh, you will be able to share that link with your friends if you really found this episode to be compelling. I think you should have, so please do that. Uh, it's nothing like sharing Movie Bite with your loved ones to tell them that you love them. Uh, and with that, we are going to sign off. Thank you, gentlemen, for reviewing this uh, wonderful movie with me, and uh, we will see you all again next week. Thanks for inviting me. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.